0: Hey guys, welcome to December. I can't believe it, that uh, 2020, oh Lord, let it be, is coming to a close. Um, coming to a close, moving on, bigger, better things in 2021, Lord willing. Um, but a- as we close this chapter of 2020, I, one thing I like to do at the end of the year, not only am I looking forward to the next year as far as planning, setting goals, and, and I like to do a podcast about that hopefully here in the next week or so, um, about what that might look like for us. Um I just like to look back and kind of observe where God has brought growth, where he's he's you know the evidences of grace, um places where I've been able to accomplish goals that I set out to do at the beginning of the year. Uh and you know, a lot of times there's goals that I don't hit and um and then I just jump back on the horse, but it gives me this chance to reflect and and I got to thinking about reflecting on some of my favorite books from this past year. I I read quite a bit. Um not not just reading that I need for sermon prep and and Sunday gatherings, Um, but across uh, a variety of of different topics, um, a lot of it's nonfiction, right? Stuff that's in the uh, realm of, you know, the Christian life and discipleship and um, apologetics, things of that nature. Um, But I also do dabble into um, fiction. In fact, that's one thing that in the last few years I've really become a, a pretty pretty consistent in reading fiction. And I've always got at least one, um, fiction book that I'm reading, whether it's on my bedside or something that I've got on my Kindle, um, that I'm just kind of digging into or what has really developed in the last couple of years, especially this year with, um, COVID and just being around the house and doing stuff was just with audiobooks. I kind of got tired with all the podcasts. You know, at a certain point you've, you've basically, you know, Ecclesiastes comes out where there's nothing new under the sun. You've heard all the podcasts, it seems like. And so it's kind of good to, to commit yourself to something a little bit longer, and so uh, I've been jumping to some of these longer books, and I typically keep uh, audiobooks reserved for um, like memoirs or uh, fiction, a lot of fiction, um, anything like biographies, stuff like that, that um, it's okay if my attention gets broken up just a little bit, and it's not super, I'm not super invested in it, but I, I, I hear it enough to, to pull out uh, the gold that's in there. So what I wanted to do this year as we come to December is share with you. Uh, I've got five of my favorite. These are fiction books. Actually, there's six. I've, I've lumped two together um, because they're by the same author and they're very similar. Um, share six of my favorite books uh, fic- of nonfiction books uh, and, uh, and share, I, th- I got three fiction books that I've read this year or have been plodding my way through that um, share with you and in hopes that this would encourage you to become a reader in 2021. Um, and uh, I think, the first book that uh, I want to share with you really champions this mentality about um, about one of the disciplines that we ought to have as Christians and just as Americans in general um, is to be well read. Uh, and I, I've said this before, you know, as a pastor, I'm not going to have a great uh, inheritance to pass on to my kids. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to leave them with Buku Bucks. But uh, one of my goals is to leave them with a really great library that uh, stuff that. That I've read through that has impacted me that I can hand down, and in this first book by Ben Sass is called "The Vanishing American Adult," um, and he's talking about really the problem that he's identifying here is that um, that adulthood is sort of getting pushed to the side in favor of an extended adolescence. So fewer you know, we're talking like 18, 19, 20, 21 year old, like kid, kids that are in college and coming out of college are slow to move into adulthood and have this prolonged season of adolescence. And and one of the things that he, he kind of riffs on here, and this is written back in 2017. So it's a little bit older, a few years old. Um, but he talks about how the word adulting was invented back, I think it was in 2016. It was, it was drafted into the, the, uh, the dictionary as a new word that started getting used where, you know. You get kids that are growing up and when it comes to paying bills and going to work and doing laundry and serving on jury duty, all these things that, you know, maybe in adolescence you didn't necessarily have to do, but here they find themselves doing those things and they call it adulting. And so he's just talking about the reality that adulthood is, is sort of, you know, vanished. And one of his missions in this book is to present a compelling vision of adulthood, but also what I think uh, in some ways this is almost feels like kind of like a parenting book. Um, because there, for me, it was very compelling. Um, it, it made me walk away with a few things that I wanted to implement within my family. Um, one of them is, um, just, to love reading and to be well-read, not just to read the stuff that that I agree with, but to, to read stuff that I disagree with and be able to, to wrestle through that. And that's one of the things um, in sending our kids to uh, Morningstar, ca- classical Christian education, uh, allows them to develop the bandwidth to, to wrestle with big ideas and to agree and to disagree with things um, and just form their own worldview, what we hope would be around a biblical worldview, um, and, and to be able to not be afraid of... of different ideas, but to be able to step into them and argue against them, um, and do it well. And, and part of that is being well-read. Uh, and that's one of the things that he puts forward is just, you know, as screens take over, I was just reading something today, statistically it called it the, uh, the, the screen era. Um, more people are on, are, have their noses on the screen for more hours a day than they do a book, um, or reading, you know, hard print material. Um, how important it is for us as parents to kind of instill in our kids a love for, for reading, a love for learning, um, and to really... He, he had this idea, like, he's got... I forget how many. It's like maybe 25 books on their bookshelf that he hopes that his kids will read. And some of them are fiction, some are nonfiction, that he hopes that his kids will read by the time that they leave the house um, to help kind of instill this love of learning. And, and I think this begins young. Um, I've got a first grader, he's starting to read by himself, and really our main goal walking away from from this school year will be, does he love to, to, to read? Does he love reading? Um, and if, if so, I mean, that's a win. And, and even with our younger kids, reading these storybooks and stuff, it all kind of begins um, at this young age. The other thing that he really champions is is just the love for hard work. Um, nothing worthwhile is easy. And so he talks about just like how he, the, the steps that he has taken with his kids to help them uh, create a, a strong work ethic. And he's from the Midwest. He's a senator in Nebraska. Um, he actually, he's a former president of Midland Lutheran College, which is a parent my college or my parents, um, the college my parents graduated from and met at. Um, so I feel kind of connected to him in a weird way. Um, but but a lot of what he's talking about comes from a Christian worldview. I mean, like it's not. I wouldn't say that this is an explicitly Christian book, um, but he's. Quoting Augustine and Tim Keller and, and other uh, Christian thinkers who have uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, stuff to say that that just speaks on a uh, across the board to a lot of different people whether you, you share a Christian worldview or not it's just um, stuff that I, re- I really love um, so anyway that that book is called. Um, the Vanishing American Adult, Our Coming-of-Age Crisis, and How to Rebuild a Culture of Self-Reliance. I loved it. It was compelling for me. Um, I think that there's a lot I walked away with thinking, and I find myself thinking about this book often. Um, the next books uh, is—I'm going to lump it together. It's by the same author, Jonathan T. Pennington. And this one, I will say, um, started out because of uh, the sermon series that we're in right now, the Practicing the Way of Jesus, going through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and the, the first book that kind of turned me on to him— was the book called "The Sermon on the Mount" and human flourishing? And and um, honestly, this book has probably, I mean, it has definitely influenced the way I've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and and really changed my view of this passage um, in Matthew's chapter five, six, and seven. Um, but so I, I would recommend that, um, that that the Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing is a little bit more academic. Uh, the, it's there are some things that are hard to get through up front, but man, if you if you can weather through the the beginning of the book, uh, there is a lot of gold throughout the middle and the end of it. Um, but but maybe the book that um, that might be more approachable, accessible is this book that he released this year called Jesus the Great Philosopher. Um, and there's just a lot of of shared uh, ideas and concepts in this, not necessarily. Uh, I, he, he's taking a look maybe from the broader perspective of, of all of the gospels and all of the ministry of Jesus and pulling from the apostles and all this stuff. But, but talking about how, um, philosophy is something that Christians for some reason have gotten afraid of, um, We've come into uh, close quarters with some philosophers that that have you know maybe negative things to say about Christianity, or it seems very confrontational, and so we kind of sheepishly shy away from it. But but what Pennington provides in this book, Jesus the Great Philosopher, is in fact that Jesus presents himself to the first century audience, and we've been talking about this a little bit as a as a philosopher. Um, you can see it in some of the um, the depictions uh, of of Jesus from the first century. Um, second century, where Jesus is depicted as a philosopher. So he's got this sort of like this flowing robe. He's got this, I don't know, there's a posture that he associates with the philosophers. And so one of the things that, um, you know, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, as, as Jesus is speaking to um, the Jews who have this love for wisdom and, and the, um, the wisdom literature of the Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Job and all, all those different pieces of... Of the Bible, um, that Jesus is also speaking to that audience, but also the Greco-Roman audience that had an, an obsession with philosophy. And and one of the things that Pennington notes in this book is how, um, over the last hundred years or so, um, that there has been a, especially in Christian circles, a movement away from, and not just Christian c- circles, actually just in general in the West, there's been a movement away from practicing philosophy and and. Um, like giving yourself to a philosophy. And what philosophy essentially is is this view. It's a, basically it's it's this vision of the good life and how to achieve it, how to obtain it. And so, you know, you can go back to, to Plato and Socrates and, and some of these old dead dudes who, you know, spent their life as philosophers showing people, teaching people how to live the good life. And, and every major religion has some sort of view on this. Um, but in the West, in recent times, we, we've sort of pushed away from philosophy or, or it's become less. And instead of letting philosophy be the work of intellectuals and people who are actually practicing uh, what they preach... We've sort of exported the the philosophizing to the celebrities and people who have some sort of, you know, uh, that are acknowledged on a public scale that aren't necess- that's not necessarily what they're known for in the first realm. So he gives the example of um, like um, Nick Offerman, who's the comedian, Ron Swanson, Um on Parks and Rec and how he's written sort of a memoir, I forget what it's called, something about a paddle. Um, And and there's been several other, um, you know, comedians, actors, um, people who have athletes who have sort of put forward like a memoir that sounds a lot like a philosophy of life or how to do it. You know, dude's guide, um, stuff like that, that has some sort of like, here's how to go about doing life. Well, we, we have exported philosophy um, serious philosophy if serious philosophy is happening we we have have not paid attention to it and and the philosophy the common philosophy has been exported to um, these celebrities and public figures um, and and uh, it's come to the detriment of people because it, it usually is based upon one person's experience and not a collection of uh, different experiences which is one of the, the things that uh, philosophy in general offers us is the ability to see from a wide variety of people um, how life works and how it works best. Um, with the exception, you know, there's like uh, the one philosopher that might be, uh, you know, taking some sort of, I don't know, has some sort of a, a gravitas to him is Jordan Peterson. And and I, I, I like Jordan Peterson in a lot of ways. In some ways, he leaves me wanting because he, it seems like he, he robs a lot from, uh, Christian worldview, uh, which I'm not against him robbing from it, but he's just missing the gospel. And so, uh, it's like, yes, but you're missing the best part. And so I I would say that's probably the closest to a philosopher, um, that our culture gets. And even then, you know, there's a lot of mixed reviews on Jordan Peterson. Um, but, uh, but anyway, this was a good book for helping to put Jesus back um, into the limelight as a philosopher and helping to see that he's not just trying to, Jesus isn't just sh- wanting to show us the way to get to heaven. He's wanting to show us the way, how to live a good life, like it, a fulfilling, meaningful, um, purposeful life and and extract it for all it's worth. Um, and so uh, I thought that was a really interesting book. I, I really enjoyed it and it just felt uh, fit really well with um, what we're studying here in Sermon on the Mount. Um, the second one, actually, this one also was in. Uh, it's not a commentary, but it, it was something that started um, that I started reading as we were moving into the Sermon on the Mount, and that's uh, the Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. And honestly, this book was. There were some parts where this book was hard to read, um, but Dallas Willard, man, what a gift to the church. Um, the late Dallas Willard was. Um, he he starts out this. This book, and and I don't know if I would highly recommend it for everybody to read, but I think there's there's some spots of this book that's just gold. Um, I've got so many highlights and markers and dog dog-eared pages, um, but but he's getting into this this idea that um, that Jesus is again, it has to do with this good life. Jesus is inviting us into the most, um, robust experience of life that we could possibly imagine. And that happens only when, when our hearts are reoriented toward him. Um, and so part of this, he's going through the Sermon on the Mount, um, the Beatitudes, he he does some cool stuff with the Beatitudes there that's really interesting. Um, but, uh, but he also has this really compelling vision for discipleship that I think, Um, it's not necessarily about, you know, information transfer, which we've never said that discipleship is purely information transfer. He does talk about that though. Like how, how do we, you know, shape our minds and our hearts? Um, but talks about how how a lot of this happens in community, um, how prayer and solitude and silence are some of the things the Lord uses uh, in community to shape us the most. Um, and how to be engaged in those in a way that, um, that fosters, uh, affections for Jesus, um, and a way of being in the world that, um, is compelling and beautiful. And so uh, I did love this book. Um, in fact, there's a lot of stuff that's going to come out of this book that I think will influence what's going on in 2021, uh, with Sacred State Church. So I'm sure you're sure you will hear me quote him, um, a few times throughout the year, uh, in the coming year. So, uh, I did enjoy that book called Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Um, Okay, I'm I, I kind of stunk here because these are some of these are just doozies of, of books. So this Dallas Willard book, you know, I don't know, it's like 500 pages, something 450 pages, something like that. Um, and the next one is not smaller, but guys, this is worth its weight in gold. This is a book called The Crucifixion by Fleming Rutledge, and this is a book that I thought um, I was it was literally going to take me all year to read. I don't know, it's uh, somewhere like 600 pages, something like that. Um. But once I got in this, holy smokes, this just blew me away. Um, it's called The Crucifixion by Fleming Rutledge, Understanding the Death of Jesus Christ. And there were so many things about this book. I mean, I just remember quoting this book or having some of the the ideas and concepts of the, this, this book sort of uh, come out uh, on a regular basis through preaching Colossians. Um, And, uh, it's something that I pull out often uh, off my shelf and kind of read some of my highlights over again. But, um, if you are wanting something that's a little bit more theologically potent, something that is dense and requires some intellectual heavy lifting, um, I would highly recommend this book. This was so good. And I think it, it won like the book of the year award. Uh, I'm trying to see what the credentials are. Um, um, I don't know. 2017, uh, winner of Christianity today's book of the year award, uh, 2015 Academy of parish clergy reference book of the year. Um, so anyway, a lot of good stuff here. Um, a lot of big hitters who are recommending this or endorsing this book. Um, very interesting. Uh, I will say one of the things, let's see, one of the things from this book that really kind of got into my mind and shape some things was the way that she talks about righteousness and, and getting to, um, righteousness, not just as a moral standard, but as a power. Um, and, and so it it was really fascinating, especially working through Colossians, um, working through some of that language and and talking about uh, the righteousness of Christ, um, being a power that's at work within us. Um, so that was fascinating. Some stuff that changed my view, uh, on things and, uh, helped me to understand scripture to a fuller extent. And, uh, the winner of this year's book of the year, Samuel Schmitz book of the year award goes to Dane Ortland with his, uh, beautiful book, gentle and lowly, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. Guys, I don't know of a book that has had a more profound impact on the way that I view Jesus. Um, This read like a devotional. This was a book that I was sad to see come to an end. I've probably read through it, not in its entirety, three times, but probably pretty close to it with all the highlights and dog ears and sticky notes that I got in this man. This book is phenomenal and i would highly recommend it highly highly recommend it for anybody honestly whether you're um, you're just starting your walk with jesus you've been walking with the lord for decades this book is so good in fact i think it came out right as quarantine hit you know i think it was probably released right around march um, and it was so good that they had a, it was like backordered for a few weeks they had to do a reprint because everybody's sitting at home and wondering what the what the heck is Jesus doing? And uh, man, this book seemed to to fill a void that uh, a lot of people were sensing. So, and I've, I've heard a lot of people, a lot of people from our church have read this book and just have a lot of good things to say about it. I have not heard a bad thing about it yet. If you say something bad about it, well, I'm going to come after you because you're wrong. Just kidding. Uh, but you are wrong. And, uh, and, but this book is fantastic. Um, so I would highly recommend, if there's one book, one book that you're going to read this year, that would help you grow as a disciple of Jesus right there. That's the book. That's the book I would recommend now bonus round here. And I'll, I'll put these uh, links to these books. Um, I'll put links to these books in. I don't know how to do that. Maybe in the show notes, if that's a thing I've heard people say that, but I don't exactly know how to do that. Um, we'll figure it out. Here's my bonus bonus round fiction books. Um, I'll start with, uh, This one's kind of a series. I've been reading through this. It's by Wendell Berry. Um, I forget what the series is called, but, uh, the first book that I read was Jaber Crow. Um, he sets, sets, uh, the story, all of these stories happen in a fictional town. Um, Port William, I think is what it is or something, something along those lines. I'm a little fuzzy here. It's been a while Mm -hmm. since I read it. Um, but just really great story writing, character development. Um, interesting. It's set back in sort of old times um, around oh, maybe World War One. I, I think Is it isn't. Uh, don't quote me on that. But it's, it's around the a wartime and um, just really interesting plot development, um, seeing how uh, character development, seeing how, how people work, you know, very good. Um, I just finished a book by John Gershom called the time for mercy that I very much enjoyed. Um, I don't know. It was, is, is a cool story. Um, cool story. I, I don't know what, I don't, yeah, just, you know, get it. Or, or listen to, I'm sure you can find a, a little summary of it if you care to. Uh, I did listen to that one. That's one that I, I put in my earbuds while I was working and actually I was painting um, in my house. And so I, I like to listen to it and it was just kind of took me to another uh, world there for a moment while I was painting, which I did end up having quite a few blemishes while I was doing that. I noticed some the other day, so I don't know, maybe if you're painting, you know, focus on painting and uh and not the book but it it swept me up in it I enjoyed it um and my favorite one and this might be kind of cliche I feel like I'm just echoing like Oprah or whoever's got a book club right now I think Reese Witherspoon I really enjoyed the book Where the Crawdads Sing uh I also listened to that one while painting um but anyway uh I, I just I thought that I still find myself like thinking back on the ending of that book, really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was a fun, fun read or fun thing to listen to. Um, so if you're looking for some fiction, there you go. I've got plenty of books for you. Uh, those are my top, I guess that would technically be my top nine. Um, but, uh, I hope you, you jump into a book, um, set some goals, see if you can finish a a book a month or uh, a book every other month or something. Um, and, uh, give yourself to some, some, content and, uh, and enjoy yourself, get lost, get lost in another world. Um, so those are some of my favorites. I hope you guys, uh, let me know your favorites. I want to hear what your favorites are, um, books that maybe I've missed, uh, this past year or, or, you know, some of these are older too, so they're not necessarily brand new releases. Um, but books that I've got into this year, I'd love to hear what you're reading. Um, something that, that resonated with you, something that was impactful, um, in your discipleship or just a a piece of fiction that you loved. I'd love to hear it. Um, that's it for now. I'll, uh, I'll try to get back on this here and talk about a little bit of uh, planning uh, for the coming year as we move into uh, December and uh, into the new year. Uh, I hope you guys are, are well. Stay healthy. Um, get out there. Enjoy the sunlight while you can. I know it's a little chilly, uh, but, but go have yourself a good day, and I will see you on Sunday when we gather for in-person worship. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your week.